This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. We're here talking about, in the broadest possible terms, something that's referred to as behavioral health, with an emphasis towards uh, substance abuse and treatment, and, and, and as I say, a broader range of, of uh, issues that regard our mental well-being. The whole thing sponsored by Retreat Behavioral Health, about which more later. Retreat, I'll tell you right now, is having a, a, a panel that they're very excited about and think is very important. It obviously is. The panel is entitled Mental Health Crisis. It's going to take place in the West Palm Beach area. For those of you down there, um, on July the 24th, get started at 6 o'clock. We'll give you more details about that. You can also stream it live for those of you not down there. It's a very important discussion. Uh, mental health crisis and protecting our youth. So we've been highlighting some of the panelists that are going to appear on the program. We do that again today by welcoming Sharon LaRue with us. Sharon is the president and uh, chief executive officer of 211 Healthline. She's been with them for the past five years. She's been the president for the past three. Uh, 211 Healthline named the nonprofit of the year in uh, in uh, 2019, 2018, 2019. Uh, uh, Sharon's resume is uh, is impressive and long. So I'll let her tell a little bit about the uh, lot of many things she has done in in her neck of the woods and how she got involved with the 211 helpline. Uh, help uh, Sharon LaRue, thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio. Well, thank you so much for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Let's begin. We'd like to begin at the beginning. T- just tell us a, a bit. I know you have, as I said, an extensive background in uh, community activism. Can you give us the thumbnail? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been in the nonprofit world pretty much my entire career. I started, uh, I majored in psychology in college, and that's probably what led me to this path, being a, a people person and wanting to find ways both to help other people and maybe also looking for the secret of health and happiness myself, you know. So psychology major, got out of college and worked my first job in a group home with individuals with disabilities and then moved from that to working with family services and worked in the foster care system for a little while, helping families connect with with children who are really troubled in um, foster care situations, and then worked doing some community advocacy in um, my little small town of Delray Beach and at the police department there. And that led me to 211, where I felt like 211 really has everything intersects there because we are 24-7 and people are able to call us any time of the day or night when they're facing a crisis. And so I felt like so many of the things that I had done really came together in this work. Let's talk about the title of the panel that you're going to be uh, a part of that Retreat has put together on the 24th of July. You know, as I said, the title is uh, Mental Health Crisis, and the subtitle is Protecting Our Youth. So we're going to deep deep dive into into young people in this situation. Begin at the beginning. uh, Describe for us this. We know that there's a crisis. Describe the size of it. The crisis is enormous, and people have been starting to talk about it as an epidemic. Um, uh, the suicide rates in the U.S., I mean, there's so much data, I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but in the U.S., the suicide rates have gone up in the last 15 years in every single state, in almost every single demographic. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. Last year, in the ballpark of 45,000 people died by suicide. That's 
twice the number of homicides, and the rates for youth suicide is alarming as well. So for youth, suicide is the second leading cause of death nationwide. So that's something we need to be, collectively, we all need to be paying attention to. Well, it's shocking that, that it would be the second. It's shocking. It's staggering. Yeah, it, it stops you and you, you begin to think something very profound is wrong here. If young people yes. are killing themselves at that kind of, at that rate, I know guns have something right. to do. I know the access to guns have something to do with this, but there, there are other facts. I'm sorry, go ahead. It does. It does. There, there is research that suggests that um, one of the things that happens is that death by suicide goes up when the means to, to suicide goes up. And that's um, guns, that's pills, you know, that's jumping off of a bridge. Whenever that means is more accessible, research suggests you'll, more people will die. Um, I'm sure you know more now about suicide than you did when you began this work. For for most of us, it remains a very, very obviously troubling, but mysterious right. thing, and all, almost hard to rationalize what, how someone could get so, in such a dark place. Anger, right. anger also uh, accompanies this when someone we love sure. and know does this. What if what what are some of the things that stand out to you now about why young people in particular are so uh, uh, quick to do this? Yeah, a few things that I that I want to bring up, you know, as background to begin, is that one of the things that I've learned through this work is that, that people imagine that if somebody, if there's a, uh, a suicide attempt, people imagine that that person doesn't want to, you know, wants to die. In reality, what the research suggests is that they're not thinking so much about dying as that they're thinking about their suffering, and they're thinking about how to, that they don't want to be in pain anymore. So... So in some ways, there's a disconnect in their thinking between their action, which is going to end their life, potentially, and and they're really just focused on the suffering. So because of that, what, what the research suggests is that a lot of suicide attempts are impulsive and that if we can interrupt that thought, if we can get them to call for help, call a friend, call 211, call a hotline, often we can actually talk them through by by interrupting that impulsivity of their thinking of um, how to end that suffering. It's such a key point because no matter how much data we can um, accumulate, we'll never get the data point from the person who has killed themselves. As, as, exactly, and, and, exactly. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're extrapolating, we're inferring based on people who attempted and survived. That's where a lot of information comes right. from. Right. And uh, I'm curious about that because impulsivity is certainly something we're all guilty of, but ch- young people, you know, they, they lead the league in, in impulsive behavior. Right, and, right. And, Absolutely they do. And in these survivor cases that you're familiar with, what, what are the, they're telling you – you know, I, I wish I hadn't done that. Or what, what were they? What are they telling you? They they are. Um, there are cases of survivors, especially in situations where people jumped. We we actually had a speaker um, come and speak to us last year, and and he said that he had talked to so many survivors that jumped off of actually the Golden Gate Bridge, and he said so many of them said the moment that I left the bridge, I wish that I hadn't done it. You know, so so a lot of times the survivors are saying, you know, that that's not really what they wanted, but it was 
they couldn't think of another way to stop their pain at that moment and that they took an extreme action. So what we want to do is we want to find a way to interrupt that process. We want to say to people, you know, when you are feeling desperate, when you are suffering, you reach out to somebody. Mm. Let's talk about it. Let's talk through what's going on. You know, let's get you some relief. Let's talk about other things, other strategies. Um, and and that is really helpful. We we at our hotline we get between eight to ten suicide related calls every single day, and we're talking every one of those people through. So what's happening is that while there are a lot of a of, of attempts, a lot of people think about suicide without ever acting on it. So we want to make sure that as many people as possible we we're steering them in that direction. You're thinking about it, but let's not do anything about that. Let's not take any extreme action here. You're important. You're valuable. We want to talk to you about what's going on in your life. We're speaking with Sharon LaRue. She is the president and CEO of uh, 211 Helpline, which is a nonprofit in uh, the West Palm Beach area. It's also now a national phone number. We're going to find out more about that uh, later in the in the program. But I want to, I want to really uh, probe a little more on what, what people are thinking about when they get to such a dark places, uh, even thinking about suicide. When you tell young people or anybody that you come in contact with that you have absolute proof that of from survivors who say gee this is a bad idea <laughs> the minute the minute they do it they think it's a bad idea do you think that has an impact on anybody does that break through i do I do. I do think it has an impact. And what happens is that, you know, we're social creatures, so we pay attention to other people, what other people are doing. And, and we've found that stories of hope and healing, you know, other people have been suffering, you're, you know, you're suffering, other people have suffered, they've managed to find hope and healing, and you can too. You know, that's an important message that we want to get out to everybody. Yeah. If, um, for, for parents in particular who are listening that you know, know worry about stuff like this, how, how likely, and let's be honest, how likely are young people to tell their parents in particular that they're feeling low enough to consider suicide? Are they likely to volunteer that information? They they, they may not. It depends entirely on their relationship with their parents. So every, every relationship is completely unique. So what we want people to know, parents to know, and kids to know, youth to know, young adults, is that if you're if you're comfortable talking to somebody in your life, do that. Absolutely do that. But if you're not if there's no one you feel like you can talk to, you can call us because we care about you directly. You know, we care about you too. So we want to make sure one of the things people tell us a lot when they're contemplating suicide is that they feel like no one cares about them. And so one of the most powerful things we can do when we're talking to them is say, "I'm talking to you right now." And I care about you. And the people who work on our team legitimately do. That's why we do this work. So that's, it's, it's an authentic emotion, and that's why it, it's so powerful when people are feeling isolated and desperate to hear that somebody else really cares about them. I want to pick up. That's what they need to hear. Yeah, I want to pick up on this um, when we come back after our first break here now because sure. it's such, it, it's almost the, the kind of topic that parents may be worried about and they should be. But wouldn't bring up. It's sort of don't you know better not even talked about. But we'll talk a little bit more about that straight ahead. Sharon Larue is our guest, president and CEO of Two One One Helpline. We have more with Sharon straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Our guest on the telephone is Sharon Larue. Sharon uh, is uh, the president and CEO of Two One One Helpline. 
a national organization now, but started down there in Florida to uh, well, you know help the community in a broad range of emotional and uh, I guess um, suicidal situations. We, we've been talking about the dynamics of that and. The numbers are off the charts for every demographic, as Sharon tells us. We're focusing on young people. Sharon is going to take part in a panel discussion that Retreat is holding in the West Palm Beach area that concerns itself specifically with mental health, the crisis going on among young people and how to protect them. So, Sharon, we were talking about this situation where communication is so very important. But, you know, let's be honest, moody, sullen, uncommunicative Young people have been around for forever. Do do you find that right. do you find that parents that call two one one that want help in this have difficulty knocking on the door of the bedroom and saying, "Honey, let's talk a little bit. Are are you okay? Are you having bad thoughts? Are you, you know, could could you actually say to your children, do you ever think about hurting yourself? And is that a good idea? Yeah. No. Um, parents. Call, do call us, and that is something that they're asking about, and we encourage people to. So if you're a parent and you have a child you're worried about and you don't know what to say or do, absolutely call us because our staff will talk you through that. But to answer your question, um, is it a good idea for parents to talk to their kids when uh, directly about what's going on and ask them? It absolutely is a good idea. So, so there is a myth that you don't want to mention suicide for fear of putting the idea in their head. You're not going to put the idea in their head. If they are thinking about hurting themselves, you need to know that. And so if your child is acting um, unusual, if they've changed their behavior, if they're, act, if they're sleeping more, if they're acting moody, if they seem depressed, if they seem withdrawn, if they're isolated, especially if they're doing things like giving things away or making comments that implies they might not be here, you need to ask them, you need to say, first of all, you know, I love you. That's just what kids need to know. They need to know they're loved. You need to say, I love you. You need to say, I am worried about you. You know, you're acting different. And you need to say, are you thinking about hurting yourself? You know, so you need to have a real conversation with them. Um, out in the open about where their thoughts are so you guys can figure out what to do next. Yes. I, I, I don't want to belabor this, but that is the key point there. The conversation up to the question of are you thinking of hurting yourself is fairly standard. We say that to our kids sort of perfunctory. How you doing? How are you feeling? But the, you're absolutely correct. The, the idea has been around forever that if you say to somebody, right. are you thinking about – uh, hurting yourself or, or are you thinking about suicide, you're going to put the idea in their head. That's a myth that needs to be dispensed with immediately. It's right? a myth. The idea is it's already there, right? Exactly. The idea, if, if it's there, it's already there. You didn't put it there, but you do need to talk about it because we're, we are talking about a potential life and death situation. It's your child who, you know, to the most of us, this is the most important person in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So let's, let's not... Um, Let's not tiptoe around this. Let's make sure that they're safe. Uh, Sharon, um, are are young people more willing to to tell their peers that they're having suicidal thoughts than than they are their parents? Do they tell their their peers? Sure, and we do get calls from peers, and we can actually reach out. So if if somebody's worried about a friend who they think might be feeling suicidal. If they call us, we can reach out to that friend on their behalf. So that's something people should know, and we're happy to do that. They are often um, more willing to talk to their peers, but here's another an, another thing that we should be aware of and worried about. Statistically, 
we are in an epidemic of loneliness and isolation, and this is also what's driving some of the mental health concerns. So the number of people in our lives that we report feeling close to is going down. And some people actually say there's no one they feel close enough to, to talk about real intimate, deep concerns in their life. And so when that's the case, that's when we want to make sure people know they can reach out to someplace else for help. They can call a 211. They can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. People need to know, even if there's no one that they think they can talk to, they can talk to us. Loneliness in the most connected generation in the history of the planet. How, how does that figure? It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So what, what is that dynamic about? How does, I mean, you know, they're connected in every conceivable way, 24-7. Um, yeah, but they're not connected in deep, genuine ways. So, you know, you have to think about what you need for a real relationship, right? You need physical time with people. You need trust with people. You need the time to build that trust, the trust that when you tell them something, that they're going to accept that in a caring and loving way and that 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 person is going to share things with you. So what's lacking in today's social media world is that level of, of genuine trust and empathy and connection, and instead it's been replaced by a very a very surfacey kind of connection that people sometimes think are friendships, but those friendships don't go deep. And, and it would seem to me obvious that in, in addition to this isolation, there's enormous pressure uh, because what we there get is, is rather than empathy, what we get is competition. This is the way you must look. This is what you must buy. Um, this is what will make you happy. And it rarely matches up to anybody's real experience. So that pressure must be a, a factor in, in these suicidal thoughts. It's absolutely a factor. And the um, so what's happening is that children are under under an enormous amount of pressure that sometimes the adults are not always thinking about. And I say children, but this is also young adults. And this stems from um, a whole changing society, right? So people can't any longer expect to get a job and keep a job for their entire career that's going to give them a pension. They can't expect that necessarily they're going to walk out of school and get a job that's going to be able to pay for housing. Even though we've got a labor market that feels robust, wages have actually stagnated when compared to these other increasing costs of things like basic housing and insurance. Um, and then kids are coming up. Kids need college more and more to get that good paying job, but they're coming out of college saddled with a lot of debt. So these kids are facing a huge variety of pressures that we maybe didn't have in some prior generations. And so they are, um, they're feeling an enormous amount of pressure to do everything perfectly. Well, it's and, not, and that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not, the truth is it's never been easy to be a kid growing up uh, anyway. Uh, but exactly. th th this generation has a unique set of circumstances staring them in the face. Sharon LaRue Thank is you. our guest. She is with uh, 211 Helpline, and uh, we will have more with Sharon. Some of the numbers straight ahead and the strange disconnect between the way media portrays young people today and what their behavior, their, their reckless or dangerous behavior, um, you know, is actu actually looks like. We have more straight ahead. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We'll return to our guest in just a second. I want to remind you, though, of anything that you hear on the program or anything in your life that regards, you know, your your mental health and well-being, substance abuse issues, treatment, 
uh, Retreat, who sponsors this program, Retreat Behavioral Health, uh, is uh, there to answer your questions. They're, trust me, they, they've helped lots and lots of people. Their reputation is sterling, but this program is not dedicated to selling you anything. Here's the phone number. I tell you this every week. I hope you never have to use it, but it could be uh, it could be very, very helpful in a very bad situation. 855-859-8808, 855-859-8808, Retreat Behavioral Health. Our guest on the telephone, uh, Sharon LaRue from 211 Healthline in the West Palm Beach area. She is a panelist on a retreat uh, panel they're having on July 24th entitled Mental Health Crisis Protecting Our Youth. Incidentally, stop before I, I forget, uh, for those of you not in the uh, West Palm Beach area um, who could not attend something like this, and you and everybody's invited to it, 6 o'clock on the 24th of July, they will stream the conference uh, live, the panel discussion live on their Facebook page. So if you're a stakeholder here, and almost all of us are, you, you might want to note that down and uh, uh, follow it along at home on, on Facebook. Uh, Sharon, uh, b- before we get uh, deep into some of the weeds here, just a couple of th- more things about about uh, uh, 211. There have been sure. – cri- I think the popular d- depiction of a crisis hotline is somebody uh, sitting at the other end of the phone and somebody's calling uh, about to, you know, jump off a ledge or off of uh, – you know, put their head in uh, and they have to talk them down off of that sort of thing. What I'm hearing from you is that uh, is that uh, 211 is vastly different. Um <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about what happens when somebody calls 211. Yeah, let me tell you first just a little bit more then about what 211 is. So this is a nationally designated number, like a 911. Mm-hmm. But if you call 911, you don't get a national dispatch center, right? You get your local law enforcement. 211 works the same way. So there is not a national 211 um, one entity, but there is a national number all across the country you can call it. Not just for um, crisis, but for any variety of things that you need, worries about your child's development, um, worried because you might be losing a job or you're about to be evicted or you don't have food in the house. Any of those kinds of things, our staff are trained to listen. Our particular 211, uh, nationally there are dozens of helplines that are answering the 211 number across the country. Ours happens to be here in South Florida. So staff are trained to listen, talk to you about your problem, what's going on, and then find resources in the local community for you and give you that information. Mm-hmm. Here at our 211, we also answer for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, so people can call us directly at the 211 number or dial the lifeline number 1-800-273-8255 if they're in crisis and our staff are trained uh, suicide prevention crisis counselors. We're all uh, so. we're all uh, uh, you know utterly familiar with 911 and that and its uses. How long yes. has the National 211 number been in effect? Really, all of the FCC just designated it in the year 2000. So compared to 911, the 211 number is much newer, even though we've been here for a number of years. And we unfortunately did not get, when that number got designated, there were no dollars allocated for awareness. So a lot of people throughout the country still don't know that 211 is a free resource for them that's available 24-7. And so we appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and make sure that people know nationwide that this is, um, that help is there for them. Yeah, that's what struck me was that this number had been in effect almost two decades now and is not yeah. ne- is not nearly as well recognized for its utility as 911 was. Uh, it's just like I don't know who's made that decision to give the number a national uh, a national connection and not give it a higher profile. But now we know well, it's there. It- 
Yeah, now we know. There, there were promises of dollars that never came. It's always been next year. They're going to give us money for awareness next year. <laughs> Great, just in time. Uh, let's uh, talk. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's get into the weeds on some of the numbers that you've seen, sure. as shocking as they are. But I want to preface it all by beginning with the. There's a television program HBO is now airing called Euphoria. I don't mean to focus on that, but mm-hmm. it's the most immediate and glaring example of the way the media has since the beginning of time. I guess right after the Andy Hardy movies, the wild youth movies uh, took hold. Um, and, you know, we, they've been with us forever. They always exaggerate either the fun young people are having or the dangerous behaviors that are going on. This program on HBO, uh, Euphoria, uh, depicts young people in high school in the most reckless fashion possible. To look at this is to just shake your head going, could this possibly reflect reality? And the article I read and I mentioned um, to you earlier Said right. well, said well. Here, that's what they're looking at. That's the fiction they've created. But the numbers don't back up that sort of behavior. Here's the no, real. not at all. Here's the real irony, and maybe you can square the circle for us. Suicides among young people, you know, up and up, terrifyingly so. And their behavior, though, their dangerous, reckless behavior, is going down. Tell us about that, and how how do right. you reconcile it? Yeah, you and I were chatting about that earlier, and we touched on it a little bit earlier in the program, too, because what's happening is is that there are a lot of societal pressures that are causing our youth today to actually be more cautious, right? They know they have to get into college. They need to try to get scholarships for college. They can't not go. You know, this is critical for their life. So it's creating this pressure, this need for perfectionism that is creating a lot of stress, anxiety, and depression. So they are behaving in a more cautious way, right? But there's really not a disconnect between being perfect, having perfectionistic tendencies and having anxiety and depression, and anxiety and depression cause people to be more prone to suicidal thoughts. So it's not as big of a disconnect as it sounds Mm -hmm. like at first. It's really one thing that's driving the other. The social pressures of needing to be so perfect um, at the same time as that's causing them to feel so much anxiety. Side by side, we were talking a little bit about the social media, side by side with social media, which makes these kids feel like everyone else's life is perfect. Mm-hmm creates a huge um, a huge sense of despair for a lot of a lot of our young people and that's dangerous it's not a healthy it's not a healthy recipe uh, one of the many uh, un- terrible and unfortunate aspects of the current substance abuse crisis in the country is that it has diverted our attention to what looks to be a bigger issue and I mean you know if you were to tell parents right. what are you most worried about right now they'd say, you know, substance abuse, I don't want my kid to ever use heroin, and I'm confident that they're not. And there might be uh, – that may be true. They may they may not be abusing drugs, but they have this bigger – they have this mental health issue going on. This Sure. So we have a crisis of anxiety and depression and loneliness, correct? It is. It's, it's absolutely uh, – that you hit the nail on the head. All right, so so – what what happens in a situation like this for parents? I mean, with this stuff about monitor their monitoring their social media use it sounds good on paper, but I don't know how that works in the real world. Do you? Yeah. It- it, well, it's it's really tough, and so um, ideally, what we would be doing as parents is we're starting really early, and there's so much research and information on health and mental health and happiness, it can be overwhelming for parents. So I really distill it down to three things that are vital. So parents need to be thinking about um, 
three things for happiness, right? One is basic health. And so for health, your kids have to get some sleep. There's a lot of research that suggests that some of the issues with the social media and depression is actually because the kids aren't sleeping because they're on this stuff all the time. So really, especially at certain ages, parents need to be encouraging their kids to turn off the phone, leave, leave the phone downstairs. They have to get some sleep. They have to get a little bit of exercise and they have to spend some time with other human beings real life, in real life face to face. So those are basic things for health. We also need to make sure that we have real connections with one another, real deep relationships, so health, relationships, and a sense of purpose. So people need to be doing something with at least some of their time that makes them feel connected to the world, you know, something that has meaning. So if you distill it down, those would be, I would say, the top three things we need to be helping our kids think about for better mental health. We know it's very interesting about that because there's a move afoot in some school districts across the country, I know locally, here in the Philadelphia area. I've read about schools that are suggesting, if they haven't done already, uh, moving back the start time for high school. I think it's high school, maybe middle school as well, uh, to a later uh, time in the morning. And the knee-jerk reaction to that was, oh, my God, these kids, they're so soft. Now they want to sleep late in the morning. It's important, correct? It is It is important. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's, it's funny in a sad way that we want to think as people that we, we don't have to listen to our bodies. How does that make sense? We have to get enough sleep. We have to eat reasonably healthy, and we have to move around. These are the, the basics that make us run physically, and we have to run well physically to run well mentally. And whatever needs to happen to make sure that our kids are getting a, a decent amount of sleep, the world's changed. You know, we're no longer uh, going to bed at sunset and getting up at sunrise and working in the fields all day. So if the modern world has shifted, then we might have to shift the way that we're running our schools as well. You know, so I, I wouldn't think of it as the kids are soft. I would think of it as that the world has changed. You know, let's make yep. sure that, that our school systems are keeping up with those changes to meet the needs of the students that we serve. A, a moment, if we could, on some of the numbers that I know you're familiar with, with, with regard to promiscuity, what, what's going on out there among young people? Well, actually, um, what's interesting is that you and I were talking about this before the radio program, that the data suggests that a lot of the high-risk behaviors um, are actually lower than they've been in prior generations. So kids are waiting a little bit longer before they have sex. Kids are having, um, on average, fewer partners. Uh, Rates of pregnancy are going down. Uh, teen pregnancy. So a lot of those numbers are actually encouraging. And so they do suggest some healthier behaviors, not this crazy, reckless stuff that we're seeing on TV. But at the same time, we might be concerned that some of the pressures that are driving those safer behaviors are leading kids um, into areas that feel really stressful and high pressure. It's like squeezing on a balloon, you know, you get a bulge someplace else. Well, the same is true. The same is true for drug use. Ironically, now we're, we've you know we know that there's been a slaughter of overdoses, but that it, 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 there's not a direct relationship between increased use. It's just that drugs are more dangerous now. Uh, young people are using less drugs, in fact, aren't they? Right. Well, and, and this is this strange disconnect that you and I have been talking about, right, is that overall most of the behaviors are healthier, but the world our children are stepping into is more risky, more dangerous. So maybe less children are starting 
um, substance abuse, maybe fewer children are trying the drugs, but the ones that are, they're much more dangerous. They're more addictive and they're more deadly. Sharon LaRue, our guest from 211 Helpline. We have another segment with Sharon, uh, Sharon so stay with us. This okay. is Recovery Radio. I will. We'll be right back. We're back. We want to thank uh, Sharon LaRue, uh, who has been with us uh, on the program. Uh, she, uh, Sharon is uh, the president and CEO of 211 Helpline in her area of West Palm Beach, Florida. 211, of course, the national crisis uh, phone number that we're all now aware of. That's good. Uh, Sharon uh, will be among the panelists on the retreat's mental health crisis symposium, I guess. They're having July 24th in the West Palm Beach area, 6 o'clock. The public in that area is welcome uh, to stop in. They're going to have food and meet and greet and stuff, and then you can sit. The panel will discuss this issue of protecting our youth during this mental health crisis that's going on. And um, there the, the, will be, I think, a Q&A that follows the panel discussion. We've been highlighting panel members, and that's why Sharon has uh, given us some time today to talk about what she does and her role on the panel. It's also it's also going to be streamed live on uh, Retreat Behavioral Health's Facebook page, so you can watch that as well. Uh, Sharon, let's uh, let's sort of uh, you know wrap up here now. What where where with regard to getting out in front of the issue of a mental health crisis and protecting young people? Where would you say we are in terms of crossing the goal line? Uh, are we are we getting closer? Are we falling back? What needs to be done? Well, I mean, um, I can't say that we're getting closer given the the number of deaths and youth we've lost to suicide. So this is this is a growing concern. You know, not a, not a um, not a concern that's lessening. So this is a deepening concern. So what we need to be doing more. We are making progress in talking about removing the stigma of mental health issues. And what we need to do is do more about having conversations of how do we get healthier together? How do we focus on healthy behaviors? And how do we have conversations about how to stay healthy? You know, so those are things we need to do even more of. The work you you have done in your area can be instructive for people. Talk about some of the initiatives that that you undertook with, uh, with your group down there. Sure, because the 211 number locally, we, we serve a five-county area here in South Florida, and because we are the first call for help in any variety of areas that I mentioned, if you're worried about job loss or your child's behavior or feeling depressed or suicidal, you can call us. We also have some special initiatives for areas of uh, vulnerable populations. So we have some services we provide for the elderly. We just launched a veterans initiative where we have a, um, a local vet who can help veterans connect better to services. We have somebody to help if you have a special needs child. And we also have an initiative where um, you can actually call us anytime and we can connect you to an advocate to do a developmental screening for your child. So if you're worried about your child, are they talking on time? Are they walking on time? Are they doing what they need to do? You can get in touch with us and we can help you figure that out. You know, I think for me, the most, uh, the, 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 the biggest sort of eye opener about the work you do and the idea of a two one one crisis hotline number is that it 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 shatters this this notion I think a lot of us have about a crisis phone number or a crisis right. network, and because people automatically assume you only use that at the moment of you know maximum crisis. Right, and we don't we don't want people thinking that we want people to call us. I mean, if you're in 
immense crisis, call us. Absolutely call us. Pick up the phone. Call us. You can also um, chat. You can go to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline page and you can click the chat button and chat. But we want you to talk to us before you get to that level of crisis, which is why in our organization we combine the crisis work with the helpline work. You know, if you've got a job loss, you, you can roll through that. But if you've got a job loss and a divorce and you don't have food on the table, you know, that could lead to anxiety and depression. We want to talk to you earlier so we can get you help sooner. Well, people got people have to consider that for a minute because it is extraordinary sea change in, in what groups like yours and now this national network are, are dedicated to. Once this and the stigma of about both of all of these issues, whether it be substance abuse and treatment and mental health, the stigma of that has to go away so that people will feel more relaxed. When people want a plumber or an electrician or a dentist, they will go and do all kinds of research and due diligence to get to get the right answers to their questions. We, we, so we right. need to impress upon people that they have access to that much information now about mental health issues. Exactly, exactly. If, if somebody, no one says, oh, you broke your leg, shake it off, right? Exactly. I mean, that would be laughable. So what we, we want to do is make sure that people know when you're struggling, when you're feeling um, down, when you're feeling anxious, you can talk to people about that. So certainly you can start with your friends. If you have a therapist you trust, you can reach out to them. If you don't or you're feeling overwhelmed and don't know what to do, call your local 211. Call the National Suicide Lifeline number. Reach out to someone and um, start that dialogue. And uh, in terms of um, people becoming locally active, it's as easy as, again, it's picking up the phone and calling uh, like 211 in your local area and find out what you can do, right? Exactly. The number is a national number. Call that number and say, you know, I heard about this on the radio, and I think what you guys do is amazing, and I'd like to get involved. You know, what can I do to help? And when we get calls like that, you know, of course, most of our calls are people in crisis. So when we get calls from people saying they they want to help, we feel like, oh, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> we can use the help. Well, speaking of thank so, yous, I want to thank you for your time. I know you're very busy, and uh, we appreciate you, you sitting on the panel uh, down there in Florida on the 24th of July, again, 24th of July, 6 o'clock, uh, the mental health crisis protecting our youth, uh, all sponsored by Retreat Behavioral Health. Sharon, thanks so much, and we I look forward to getting you back on the show again sometime. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you helping us to get the word out. Take care, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll be back with Recovery Radio. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.